Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 115. I had a chat with Thane Floors. What a, what a fucking character this guy is. He's a, a musician, an artist, um, and uh, he's, he's done a whole lot of things. Um, you will know him from his work with the Crocodiles, uh, one of the great songs that he co-wrote, of course, is Tears. Um, way before that, he was in Blurter. Um, as a youngster, the Bruno Lawrence band, um, and he's yeah he's done all sorts of stuff. He's got uh, other bands that he that he um, works with to this day. Uh, he's got a kind of a creative trio, him and uh, Peter Dason and Tony Backhouse. They've made a lot of music together, continue to work together, uh, even though they're scattered in different cities. And uh, and Fane's got a got a um, a history as a as a video maker, as a a guy who made ads um, and who made a bunch of great music videos for for classic Kiwi bands, um, the Heater for the Mutton Birds and um, videos for the Front Lawn, the Finn Brothers. Uh, yeah, all sorts of stuff. The uh, I think he did the Holiday Makers, Sweet Lovers in the Night, um, and uh, yeah, he's got this kind of career happening too uh, as a, as a visual artist. Um, and then yeah, another really cool thing he did, which we talked about, is he created those uh, amazing iconic opening credits to Radio with Pictures back in the day. So um, had always been looking forward to to meeting Fane and talking to him, and it took a took a few goes to set this up. Um, every time I go back to Hawke's Bay in the holidays, I try and connect with him and one way or another it wouldn't work out it was he was either busy or I was or whatever uh, anyway I ended up spending like the guts of a day with him um, at his place and and what an incredible chat I had with him and what a great host uh, he and Joe were for me so this is me chatting with uh, Napier based artist and musician and and uh, funny guy and raconteur Fane Floors yeah, sometimes you do that and you, you think, think that's a bit unkind, you know. Yeah, you didn't actually mean really, it to sound... He doesn't really need... Uh, I don't really need to go there. No one needs to know that I think yeah. he's a cunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, well, uh, that, that I was thinking to start with, mm. I'd like to know, for you, they, they seem very entwined, but mm. what came first, music or art, in your life? Um, music, yeah. I uh, was obsessed with... Uh, you know, I was very lucky to grow up in the 60s and um, you know 50s and 60s and I was 16 in 1967 which I consider to be the greatest yeah. year in pop music um, I've even started writing a book about it um, with a Levis about that I, year about that year yeah. yeah just when I look at that year um, mm. and I look at you know like the Beatles did um, Sgt Pepper and my favourite Beatles album, which isn't most people's, but a magical mystery to Oh, it. yeah, it's fantastic. Hendrix's first and second albums, mm. The Doors' first and second albums, Pink Floyd's first album, Captain Beefheart's first album, mm. you know, um, Zappa's second album, The Cream's second album. Um, I mean, I can go to 50 yeah. great albums. Yeah, yeah, just like that. You know, great, um, you know, The Who, um, a quick one, The Kinks, something else with Waterloo Sunset on it. Mm. It's a magical time, and the thing about it that amazes me, and the band, well, they just came just on the end of that mm. year. They were like January, but they were already writing those songs. They just didn't get it out. Mm. But that era, I mean, at Bowie kind of, he did his first album, which is, you know, strange, and mm. um, he hadn't really discovered rock music at that point. But I just think none of those albums of, of and you can honestly go to 50 great albums, Aretha's, you know, I mm. ain't never loved a man. Mm. James Brown invented funk that year. 
You know, you did cold sweat. Mm. And you can go in all of those directions. None of them sound like each other. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah. for me today, a lot of music sounds like a lot of other music. Yeah. Whereas in that year, it was everyone was trying to be yeah, completely original. It was a wee influence The start of a whole lot of different things. Fuck yeah. Man. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I was very lucky, mm. I think, to grow up in that era. And that got me obsessed with music. Um, and, you know, I probably learnt my first... I got my first guitar when I was... When I passed school C, I got £25 given to me mm. by my mother because uh, they were so relieved. <laughs> and I bought a guitar, an acoustic, which had a pickup on it from a local guy who used to play in our Bible class whose name was Michael Johnson. He used to play Shadows tunes mm. on this acoustic through a little amp that he'd built, and it was a 12-watt amp in a radio cabinet. And I bought those. I gave him the £25, and he gave me those. Mm. So that was kind of my first love you know and then really I got into graphics and art later as a graphic designer first of all because I could always draw and but when I got to the point where in our family it was you didn't it wasn't even a discussion you what where are you going to university right what 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 are you going to do and, yeah. and, and I went well what's the one thing that I can what do that doesn't seem like work it's drawing and art, yeah. you know, because I can sort of do it on my... And meanwhile, I can be mucking around with music. And so I ended up getting... I couldn't get into art school, but I got into design school. And so that's how... And then I became a designer. And Ooh. then I discovered one day I clicked on, you know, somehow... Probably Egon Schiele was my first painter that I loved. And then Gustav Klimt. And then I discovered Picasso and... And I and, it's, and I couldn't understand it at first, and then one day I just looked at it and I went, "Oh, I get it," and it, something mm. happened, you know. So that's when I became interested in art. But I wasn't probably I was probably in my twenties before that. Right, happened, right. You know? And so, whereabouts did you grow up? All in one place, or did you move around? Up, my early childhood was Miramar, mm. um, until the age of seven. My dad was a teacher. And then he got the job at Mana College first assistant, so it was too far to commute. So we moved to Johnsonville, and um, then he became the headmaster of Tawa College. So, mm, mm. And so, you know, that was in between, sort of. And, uh, you know, so I grew up really from seven to till I left home um, in Johnsonville, mm. which was a little village in those days. Yeah, yeah. What we had was the Empress Picture Theatre and the Tip Top Factory, <laughs> you know. Mm. <laughs> and that was about it, and an old Victorian railway station, which they fucking moved for some reason to make mm. them more... Mm. Yeah. Um, so and it was pretty, you know, it was a free childhood. Yeah. We roamed. Yeah. We didn't turn up. After school, we'd go off to the some bush somewhere or wherever we went. Mm. We'd turn up. As long as you turned up home about six o'clock, no one knew where you were. Yeah. You Get came there. home covered in mud and fucking blood <laughs> and, you know, ripped clothes and shit. And it was like, oh, wash you your hands go and wash your hands and have dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And no I mean, one even knew where you were. It was, <laughs> it was pretty amazing when you think about how paranoid we are today about mm. what might happen to our kids. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, it was good. And uh, so so do you, you know, what's the first um, step you take towards playing music? Like you're into it as a listener um, and when, yeah. do you, when do you kind of go, this is something I want to take beyond that? <clears throat> well, I heard, um, I started writing little instrumental pieces. Um, I, probably from the word go, I always... I wasn't very good at working out other people's songs. Yeah. Because um, I couldn't really 
I didn't really know anything about music, so what I would do is I'd start writing my own little tunes yeah. on the guitar. So I had a bunch of these little tunes, and um, what I did was, I, there was a guy called Patrick Bleakley who was over in Broderick Road. He was from the Catholic school, we called it the Black School. We were a bit, we, a bit scared of them because they all dressed in black and they mm. had nuns and priests, and it was all a bit weird. But the Bleakley family of about nine kids, um, I, Patrick was, he had an electric bass and um, I heard that he was into music and there was another family over the other side of Johnsonville who were the Sampsons and they were like hard out state house kids and and their, their, their brother-in-law was Dave Fraser who was a um, yeah, well-known professional musician, he ended up being Roger Whittaker's arranger. Right. <laughs> and um, but he played drums and keyboards. Mm. And so he taught the Samson boys how to play drums. So there was Lawrence and Wayne that could both play drum. Mm. And I don't know, we just somehow came, I first of all got it together with Patrick, taught him like these little tunes and he worked out interesting bass parts and he, start, he started studying the cello and um, he ended up being the bass player in Spats and Blurter. He was in Mammal and um, he's now in the Troubles in Wellington. We're still mm. good mates. And Wayne... And Lawrence and I end up making a band, probably in my at, in design school, my first year in design school. So I would have been about eighteen or something. Um, and I got these guys together, and, and Wayne Wayne Sampson had a flat in town, and he and Patrick and I and Andrew Delahunty got together and made a band. And I'd written all this music, and we went and performed at the Auckland Arts Festival. And the band was called Patrick because we couldn't think of a name for the band. And so we called the band Patrick. And, and then after a while we thought, that was a really... And Mike Chun heard that gig. Mm. It was the first time I met Mike Chun, he came up to me and he said... Because we were looking at Mike Chun to be the manager of the Crocodiles because mm. we needed a manager. Mm. And he came up to me and he said, Patrick. <laughs> he said, you know, something or other arts festival, 1971 mm. or whatever it was. Mm. He said, amazing. And I went, I've always thought that was the biggest lot of shit of all time. It was, this, it was like, we, it was an art rock opus with seven movements, mm. you know, that went through the colours of the spectrum. <laughs> it was such a hippie fucking, and, and it, I just, I've always thought, God, it must have been so pretentious and fucking <laughs> just, it must have been bollocks, you know. And Mike Chun was the only person I know that saw it, and he reckoned it was great. So, <laughs> um what happened to that band is one day we said, oh, we can't be called Patrick anymore. And Wayne, who was sitting in the corner, went, how about Wayne and the other guys? This is a typical Samson sentence, <laughs> you know, being a smart-ass. So we all went, all went, yeah, that's good. That's good. She'll call it. And he, oh, you can't call the band that. Everyone will think I'm a wanker. You are. <laughs> <laughs> so we called the band Wayne and the other guys, and then it broke up, and the next thing that happened was... Um, we heard Bruno was in town looking for musicians for Blurter. Mm. And we all went along to the auditions and Patrick and Greg Taylor, who was the sax player, mm. got in. And I realised I'm never going to get into this band. I can't play good enough. And um, But I'd seen their show and I'd seen them. I knew they had a kids' show. They always put on a kids' show, Blurter, when, whenever they'd hit a new town. Mm. That was their way of winning over the locals. You'd do a free show for the children. Yeah. At the kindy or down the local... And then the full freak then, out later on. And then <laughs> you do the 
night, at night you do the full freak out. Mm. But once you've done a free show for the kids, all the locals say, oh, well, they're all right. Yeah, yeah. So no trouble. trouble. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'd send the cops around to fucking drum, throw the hippies out of town sort of thing. <laughs> well, I knew they had a kids show and I had very long hair and a beard, like a hippie, whole mm. hippie thing. And I had this old dressing gown my mother had made to me out of these Art Deco curtains which had lightning bolts on it. And I thought, fuck, I'll, I'll, I'll tell Bruno I've got a wizard's act. Because, mm. mm. you know, if I put that dressing gown on, I look like a bloody wizard. So I said to Bruno, I've got a wizard's act. And, and he went, oh, yeah. And then I went, blurt, what happened is Blurter performed at the uni, at the Union Hall one Saturday night. And I went to, up to him after the gig and said, you know, I said, where, where are you guys going? He says, we're going to Mahia. I said, can I come? And he said, oh, I suppose so. And I said, well, I'll, I'll just go home and get my guitar and amp then. And he went, whatever. And I fucking dr- raced home to Roseneath down 144 <laughs> steps. Don't know how I did it. You know, dragged my mm. fucking Marshall 50 and my bloody guitar up the steps after about three trips. And um, just got there in time to get him into the back cupboard of the bus as it was being locked up. And got on this bus with these people I didn't really know. Mm. And there was Ian Watkin uh, having his first trip and Tony Barry. And Patrick, I knew, well, you know, Patrick was in the band mm, and Greg, mm. so my mates were there. And um, and that was it. I was on the bus. And once you're on the bus, you're either on the bus or off the bus. Mm. You're on, I was on the bus, so I just stayed on the bus. And then that weekend, I showed Bruno and the band a couple of tunes. And he said to Chas Kennedy, what do you reckon? And Chas Kennedy said, um, he should write them, we should play them. And bring, okay, we'll learn these tunes, and, and, they, and these instrumentals became part of the band. I wasn't really very good at playing or anything. Mm. That's how I ended up in Luton. <laughs> and, and you're on the bus, where, when do you get off the bus? <laughs> I got off the bus years later. Yeah. I got kicked off the bus. <laughs> um, so that's how you. <laughs> so you I got, I got <laughs> You found the, the way off yeah, the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I won't go into it, but you know, just indiscretions. Yeah. And um, it's, it's uh, but you know, I was on the bus. We went to Australia. We went round New Zealand. Yeah. It was the second Blurter tour. We took the bus to Australia. We went to the Nimbin Hippie Festival of Light. We lived in Sydney and cracked Sydney. Then we went to down to Melbourne and cracked Melbourne. And I got hepatitis and came home. And then I went back. They were back in Sydney, and then mm. we came back to New. Made the album, the first album. Came back to New Zealand to promote it. And what had happened is we we'd got um, Rene Gay to sing on a couple of tracks. Really amazing vocal mm. on um, "This Is the Life," which was the, she was the perfect singer for it. Mm. Which is like a Ray Charlesy R&B thing. Um, and Mushroom found out, and she was contracted to Mushroom. No, they were just complete arseholes. They said, right, you take her off that album if you don't have permission to use her, otherwise you'd give us a whole lot of money. Or something like mm-hmm. that. And instead of working it out sensibly, you know, and well, can we use another name for her or whatever, mm. you know, they just, they're just pricks. Mm. And so we got to New Zealand, had to re-record the vocals that she did with Beaver and blank her name out on the album cover 
and then we ha- we were touring. We had no album because it had been delayed, you know. Mm, mm. So the big album blurt. It was like a typical rock and roll cock up. Yeah, yeah. It was like <laughs> it was probably the first of many yeah. of, of a string of them that I've just noticed over the years. <laughs> like that, every I think it's the same for nearly every fucking band, you know. Mm, mm. And you go, well, we made an album. It's great. We're going to tour the country. Everyone will love it and buy it. Mm. Uh oh, that didn't work out. <laughs> so we did the tour without the album. So um, now, the, I mean, the, the so much of that music, mm. I, I think, mm. still stands up. Obviously, a lot of it is is um, it hangs in the time mm. that it was written, but in, Very much, in, a, yeah. in a good way. It's, it's yeah. And 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 we have um, the documentary and and some yeah. other footage. Yeah. Um, so if we don't already know about Blurter, uh, we we can get pretty familiar Blurter, with it pretty Blurter quickly. Blurter was a fucking amazing experience. Yeah. Like, well, what I want to know is the, you know, like as I say, we can get familiar with it pretty quickly. But but what was some of the madness and magic that you think people, you well, know, don't for a start, um, can't they were filmmakers mm. and musicians, and they were mainly jazz musicians. But you know, there were rock musicians merged into it so the band could go from rock and roll and play like mm. play, it was mainly original music but I mean the band could play a Stones song mm. um, and but the band could also when you hauled Bernie McGannon on tenor sax like that guy could play like John Coltrane yeah, so yeah. he could move into and Bruno was a very good jazz drummer Yeah, he could have played with anyone in the world mm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know to this day why he didn't go to New York but um, I suppose family you know mm. um and he, so the band could merge through, and then there were these kind of strange pop songs that Jeff Murphy wrote. Um, and you when Corbin was in the band, you know, but see, Corbin was difficult, and Corbin ended up leaving the band and went a bit crazy. Um, but, you know, Corbin's he's recording again now at the moment. He's making a new album, which I'm really pleased about. Now, he was a fabulous front man and singer, you know. Um, I don't know, there was... Basically, it was that they made really interesting, weird little arty films, and then they played the music live. Mm, mm. So we played live music. And the other thing is it was multimedia because you would have actors on stage. For example, one one little act, which was called The Wall, would have Martin Sanderson and Jeff Murphy sitting on a bench on stage in black overcoats, you know, having mm. a chat. Mm. Well, they wouldn't be having a chat. They were just sitting next to each other. I can't remember if they had a chat or not. They probably did in the front of the stage. And behind them projected on the back screen was a, was a big brick wall. Mm. And they would then, after a while, they got up and they'd, they'd leave the stage either side. And after a while, the camera would sit, up, would sit on the wall and then it would go up the wall. And, up and over the top of the wall and looking and you see the cemetery with rows and rows of white crosses going away mm. and the two actors would walk into shot and walk away down through the cemetery so actors on stage appeared in film mm. and the music was live so I mean and we had a good light show too so when we hit the fucking west coast and the hippies came out of the bloody mm. the mm. hills mm. it was a full psychedelic it was like you know country joe and the fish at Mm. Buddy Monterey or something. It was, you know, I'm just thinking about the light show. It was very psychedelic. And, um, you know, bubble lamps and movies and weird slides of Escher prints and famous paintings, all mm. collaging together. So it was a very visual. And then there was theatrical things with very good actors, Martin Sanderson, 
um, Tony Barry, Ian Watkin, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of the oh, Bill Stalker, um, and I'm you know I'm I've got someone in my mind here and I can't remember his name because uh, I'm old. Um, so you would have theatrical things like you know there'd be a bomb scare. Someone mm. there's a bomb in the building. Martin Sanderson would turn up as, as a bomb squad disposal, full army kit crawling around through the audience trying to find the bomb, you know. Mm. And the bomb would eventually go off, you know, usually under the drum kit, you know. Mm -hmm. And Jeff Murphy would just about blow the drums off the fucking stage because he liked pyrotechnics. Um, I got blown off stage one night by the bomb. Actually <laughs> flying through the air, blowing off stage, yeah. <laughs> Four feet through the air, bang into the fucking into the wings. See, I mean, so all that that all happened. Yeah, it's along, along with really interesting music mm. and the thing about the jazz element, which was improvisation. Mm -hmm. So you all we all you all learn to know that the music is going to do something, and Bruno will decide when it's turning to shit or if he's bored, mm. and then he'll make something else happen. Mm. And it all happened like from the drum kit. Mm. That's quite interesting. Yeah. Now the very, I'll tell you the very first time I saw Bruno, because um, it's quite remarkable for me. I went to a, a dance when I was 13 at the Kandala Town Hall, uh, and it was my first public dance. And that's what you did in the weekends. There were dances in halls, scout mm. halls, town halls. It's where you went. You went to a dance somewhere, and all the teams would go. Mm. And that's where you'd meet girls and we got to hear music. And there were a lot of really good fucking bands playing around Wellington at the time, like The Bitter End and The Dizzy Limits and Tom Thumb and a whole bunch of them. Um, and this particular concert I, about dance that I went to was Max Merritt and the Meteors. Mm. Now, I didn't know who they were, mm. um, but they had been working in Australia. They were like a fucking hot professional R&B band. band. Yeah, yeah. They'd worked every night of their bloody yeah, yeah. lives, you yeah. know, for years. They'd been on cruise ships. They'd done everything. And Bruno was drumming with them. Mm. It was Billy Christian on bass. But the, what was interesting was the lineup: Billy Christian on the left, Bruno in the middle, but not at the back of the stage, right on the front lip right apron, the apron with the bass drum right on the apron in the middle. Yeah. And then Max Merritt and the other guitar player on the other side. Yeah, right. And... And you couldn't take your eyes off Bruno. He yeah. was like a wild animal. He was like, he was like the fucking drummer in the Muppets. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. animal. Yeah. That's what he was like. He was, And he just thrashed the drums and he was charismatic. And that was my first experience, really, of live rock and roll. And he never, he never um, refined that. He might have refined his playing on mm. some level, but he never refined that approach, right? Because oh, I remember, no. I think the only time I actually saw him in the yeah. flesh play drums was... Yeah. You know, when I was finishing school and he had that little combo, the Jasmine. Oh, yeah, 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 and with Jonathan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they played over probably East Pier or yeah. something, one of those Napier pubs. Yep, yep. And, you know, I, I was playing the drums as a yeah. kid at school, so I, and I, I'd seen his movies and yeah. knew about, you know, Blurter and mm. whatever. So it was a really big fucking deal for me yeah, to yeah. see him. So you went to see Bruce. Oh, yeah, it was a big, yeah. big deal. Yeah. But everything you described about you first seeing him mm. in terms of not being able to take your eyes off him, mm. I had the exact same, yeah. you know, relative to where I was at, I had the exact same experience, even though it was just a little background jazz yeah, yeah. combo. Well, the next time I saw him, you know, apart from seeing him on telly and Pookie Manu mm, and, mm. you know, various the Feltex Awards, mm. and, um, was I saw him and I went to a club in Wellington one night and I think it was 
called, oh, it was where Tom Thumb used to play, I can't mm. remember what it's called now. It was started out as Tina Rama, then it became something else, starting with P. Um, uh, anyway, he was there, and he was playing with a four-piece, and it was Corbin Simpson on guitar and vocals, Tony Littlejohn on bass, and Chris Serison on keyboards. Mm. And I had never seen anything like it in my life, because what actually happened was Chris and Bruno turned this music into like a fucking whirlwind but they got onto something mm. and they and it became like this wave and they rode it and they kept building up the energy and Chris was just on fire on the keyboards and Bruno was just thundering on the mm. drums and they, they built the whole thing up and it was like I went fuck what's going on with this music you know it's not like they're playing a song mm. you know da 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 it's like it turned into this thing that went into outer space and came down and dissolved away and it blew my mind and I, I realised shit that's what that's what really good musicians can do mm. instead of just playing some parts which is perfectly legitimate but mm. they can actually on the right night on the magic night by playing off each other they can take it up and they can take it into fucking space or somewhere mm, mm. and they take you on this trip and no one knows what's going to happen and they don't even know and they just, it happens. Mm. It was my first experience of, of, of a band taking off and I thought that's for me if I can, that's what I want to do somehow, mm, mm. I want to be involved in that and have that experience and you know, that, the funny thing is, you know, probably also as a teenager I once saw Bruno, I went to a movie at the Lido used to go to the movies on Sunday night at the lead day and I had Fellini movies and things that I was interested in. I was probably 18 or something, 17. And I came out of the Lido to ring to go to the phone booth and call my dad to say, can you come and get me? And this guy was standing by the phone booth and he looked at me and he was in a fucking blue great coat with, mm. a, with a collar up. He was completely sh had a shaved head, but he had mutton chops. Mm. So he had no fucking bald head with these big mutton chops. And he looked at me and he was having a fag, and he, he said, oh, have you got a fag or something? And I went, no, man, I don't smoke. And he, I had a chat to him, mm. and he was like freaky, but he was actually very nice. And I, I went, that's fucking Bruno. I know, who, I know who that guy is. I've seen him on TV, you know. Mm. And he was the drummer. And the, yeah. mm. So mm. I linked up and then eventually be, be ended up in his band and then eventually got fired from his band and then he ended up in Spats and the Crocodile, yeah, which were yeah, my yeah. bands, yeah. and I ended up firing him from my band. Not because I wanted... <laughs> not, not for a payback. No, no, <laughs> not it wasn't a, a payback. Yeah, it was yeah, because, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, it was complicated, but, you know, he and Jenny Morris had had a thing and she'd, and then they weren't really getting on that well and Bruno got bored with pop music. Mm. And I don't, I don't blame him, you know, like we were playing... And Tony was writing these songs that really needed solid drumming. And sometimes Bruno, you know, you'd, you'd be in the middle of a song and you and you go, what the fuck's happened? And you'd turn around and Bruno would be fucking rolling a fag and just playing the bass drum. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. And, and, you know. Yeah. And Tony would like, oh, look, that can't happen in that song. It's got to have that hi-hat. And it's... I think the band, he, he got bored with the music. He didn't really want to go. But then the interesting thing is... The band said he's got to go, so I had to fire him. And in the end, he went straight into Smash Palace, so mm. then he became an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like a catalyst for him to go and do something else. Well, what was your, um, was 
let's go back to when you yeah. get chucked off the bus. Yeah. Is that that's a catalyst for what for you? Well, you know, what happened what to happened? me was I had all. You know, these... I know what eventually happens, yeah. but what happened? What happened is away? I had I had all these songs I'd yeah. written. Yeah. Blurda were playing a few of them. Yeah. And I and I was like, what the fuck am I going to do now? You know. Um, and I started a little band in Wellington with Paul Davies and Patrick was around. Um, he played with us a bit and we were called the Hot Club and I was into Django at the time I was trying to learn how to play like Django which was mm. a glorious fail as you oh, can imagine oh yeah, yeah. come on then Here you go. get it out can we wear a bit of an outfit next time you bring something awesome. in will you <laughs> cheers um, but I yeah so I had these tunes mm. we used to play at the Shaperie <laughs> which is a little coffee bar mm. up above the Embassy Theatre and we called ourselves the Hot Club the Shaperie was a Django joke. Mm. We played all sorts of songs that I liked on records, right from Django Reinhardt to Little Feet to all sorts of weird things. And what happened to me was that I inherited two grand from my 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 great auntie died. She left. She liked me, and she left me a couple of grand. And I had eighteen songs that. Um, I've written, which Blurter had played some of them, but yeah. mostly they hadn't because there was lots of music and lots of pe- writers in Blurter. So mm. you didn't get, like, your song, every song you wrote didn't get played by the band, you know. And I was just getting into songwriting and writing and writing and comment, fuck, I'm going I'm to record these songs. And I, um, and I, I met this guy, Mark Hornibrook, who was a bass player, he was an amazing bass player. And he said, I've got a uh, little recording studio out in Tawa. It's called Delbrook. It's in Gilbert Egdall's basement in a, in a suburban house in Tawa. Mm. <laughs> really unlikely. Um, it was called Delbrook Studio because Gilbert Egdell and Mark Horney Brook, they called it Delbrook. And I think they had like a four-track Revox or something. And... So I got, I mean, fuck, I need band to record these songs. Mm. So I got in touch with, I got Patrick, you know, who was always my first bass player yeah, to yeah, go yeah. to. And I found a drummer called Chris Fox, who was a really fucking good pro drummer. And I recorded a whole lot of songs, half the songs with Patrick and Chris Fox. Mm. And then Mark Hornibrook, who was the recording engineer, you know, I heard him play the bass and I went, fuck, this guy is... Plays like James Jameson or something from a Motown. Yeah, yeah. He's really fucking cool. And so I said, Mark, um, do you want to play bass on some so- on some of the songs, half the song? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I said, well, who should we get to drum? And he said, get Kerry Jacobson. Um, you know, he's the fucking best drummer in town, and um, he's only young, but he can play anything. Mm. So I started rehearsing, I, re- I showed Kerry the songs and he and Mark did the other half. Mm. He, you know, Kerry ended up in Dragon and mm, mm. Uh, um, I'm recording with Mark in Sydney next month. Me and Peter, are, we're doing a new Underwater Melon Man, another 25 right. kids song. Yeah, yeah. And Mark's going to do some of the, half the bass playing. Um, so I ended up with 18 songs recorded and also that was my first link to Tony Backhouse because I went, I need a really good someone to, I don't know about how do I arrange vocals? I don't understand. I don't really know that much about music. I 
uh, Tony Backhouse is fucking good. I love his singing and mammal, and he knows about vocal arranging. So I got involved with Tony, and I showed him the songs, and he did vocal arrangements. He he said uh, he worked out the harmonies, and and um, we got a, um, this girl from the band that I'd had, the Patrick Band, um, Fat Cass, to sing with us, and we recorded 18 tracks. And they turned out really well. And I'm like listening to them going, these are really fucking good, you know. I mean, there's a few mistakes and mm. they're rough, but fuck, there's a whole thing happening here. I, I think I can be quite good at this. And no, no one else, everyone else was amazed too. Like Tony said to me, I can't believe how, how well you pulled that off. I mean, well, I didn't really do anything. I just got a bunch of guys around me, you mm. know, mm. that knew what they were doing. And he said, he said, I really didn't think you'd be able to pull that off, but you fucking totally pulled it off. And so that's what happened to me. So I had a bunch of songs. I went to Alan Galbraith, who was at EMI or somewhere, and he really liked them, but he couldn't, he didn't know what to do with them. No one knew what to do with them, so nothing ever happened with them. But what actually happened was we formed spats. Tony Tony and I and Peter Dason. I, I, what happened is I joined, no, I was living in Pycock, and I, I got asked to join Andy Anderson's boogie band. Mm. The bass player, AK, lived next door. He said, come to a rehearsal tonight. I went to rehearsal. He said, we need a guitar player. So I went to rehearsal and had a jam with Andy's band. And there was this guy sitting in the corner. And he's in a bloody, once again, he's in some sort of great coat, you know. Mm. And he's got hair and he's got a fucking huge beard and he's got glasses you can't even see him like he's out of focus this guy mm. it's like he's like a blur and he doesn't say anything he just goes hi he's so shy he can't even say hello hardly you know mm. and we start playing first song is the doors roadhouse Bl- roadhouse blues you know Ah, uh, what is that? I got myself a beer. Mm. He goes, roll, baby, roll. And the fucking boogie-woogie piano starts up. And this guy is fucking playing this piano. And I'm just like, what the fuck? And he just whipping it out. And he can do this stride piano like mm. a motherfucker, you know? And, um... Peter Dason's his name, you know, and he can't even say hello, but he's, he can play the piano. <laughs> and so, you know, so we did a couple of gigs with Andy, with the boogie band, and um, then I said to Peter, um, why don't you come out to my house in Pycock next weekend and I'll show you some songs. You're interested in mm. hearing some original songs? And he's like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And he comes out, and it turns out, and our, our record collections are, like, identical. Yeah, yeah. He's got... You know, he gets everything from the Beatles to the Move and the Small Faces, all that British pop. But he gets also Booker T and the MGs and fucking Aretha and Jimmy Smith and all, all the bloody Black Soul. And then he's got Mingus and fucking, you know, Monk. And he's got all these jazz albums. And it's like I'm going shit. It's amazing how much we connect, you know, mm. musically and what we what we like to listen to. Mm. So I show him some songs, and he goes, wow, these songs are really fucking cool. Pretty much the same songs that I recorded, plus some new ones, you know. And in the end, I said to him, look, you know, do you actually want to play boogies all night? 
Or should we play some? <laughs> or do you want to play some original Do some music? Inter- so interesting stuff. <laughs> why don't we get? Why don't we? You know, I mean, I like playing boogies with Andy. Yeah, it was yeah, great, yeah. But I had once again. I was always driven because I had the songs, and that's how am I going to get the next mm. bunch of guys mm. to play the songs that are good? Mm. And we formed Spats. Um, he and I and Patrick and Bruno was the first drummer. And I rang. I, kept, I said, "We've got to get back house." Mm. And Backhouse was in some bloody band like Hired Help or, you know, he was always playing at the Tapestry or he was always playing at Ali Barber's in some band. Mm. And, and and so he had a gig and he was in a band. And so I just rang him up every morning at 8 o'clock in the morning for two weeks <laughs> and woke him up and said, you're destined, we're the Gemini twins, you're destined to fucking, we're destined to play original music together. You know, stop trying to fight it. You've got to fucking realise this. You know, how, when are you going to realise and I fucking keep ringing you up until you work it out. And then one morning I rang him. He said, "For fuck's sake, I'll join the band if you just fucking leave me alone." <laughs> and that was I realised that was a good way to that if you were really persistent, you could get people to do what you wanted. So, so he joined, and we had and, and we got Spats together. And we had thirty-two original songs, and we and Spats was like a it was like a workshop because I brought. Blurter, what I'd learned in Blurter, which was all that mm. theatre and chaos and um, uh, improvisation mm. and all of that entertainment value, and we basically had all these original songs that we wrote. So um, what we ended up doing was we'd do three different sets as three different bands with three different costume changes <laughs> and three different names, yeah. you know, and we'd do like a 1940s set as Les Hots and his two bar heaters or something. And then we'd do a night and we'd do like a, a doo-wop set where we did freaking zapper doo-wop songs and shit like that as the Ducanes. And then we'd do a new wave set which was like we were called the Crocodiles. And we used to play songs that we'd written plus we'd do a talking head song and an Elvis Costello song and and you know new music that we liked which mm. is called, sort of called New Wave at that point and then so and we just did all that sort of shit and we'd get guests to come on in costume and, mm. so that's what and but to me Spats was just a workshop where we could learn how to play all lots of different kind of music that we were interested in if we were interested in if we liked the Steely Dan song which is fucking impossible to play we'd work out how to play it mm. and then we'd play it you know, we did five Zappa tunes. We used to do a medley of Zappa waltzes. <laughs> Imagine us at a fucking wedding, mm. and they'd say, can you play a waltz? Well, we would play Toads of the Short Forest, <laughs> Blessed Relief, and 20 Small Cigars. You know, and that was our, yeah. that was our medley of waltzes. <laughs> there you go. You know, and, they'd go, and they'd go, they'd look at us and go, yeah, fucking yeah. mad, what are you doing? You know, play something decent. And we'd go, oh. So that's, to me, Spats was like this experiment where we learned how to play a whole lot of different musical areas mm. that we thought were interesting and worked out whether we could play them or not sometimes we couldn't even play them and um, uh, and then that's what be ended up going on to become the crocodiles I was going to say so that yeah. morphs into the crocodiles yeah that morphs really. into the crocodiles yeah. what, you, but what happens you fire Bruno but then you get him back so, <coughs> no, or he, he fucks off somewhere he fucked he? off already to make a movie yeah yeah. so we got him back in the crocodiles to yeah. make the album Yeah. and then he drummed in the crocodiles and I had to fire him from the crocodile. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he took it really well. Yeah. We were always good mates. Yeah, yeah. And he knew... Um, I, mean, I got 
I was far from blurred because I fell in love with his wife. He's still a really good friend of mine to this day. Mm -hmm. And uh, lives at my mum, Veronica. Uh, huge respectful. She really was the brains and behind Blurter, not Bruno. Those women ran it. Yeah, he was the he was face. Like, he, he looked was like the, he was the yeah, brains. Yeah, yeah. But they were the fucking ones that kept it all going and fed all the kids and fed everyone. And, mm -mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's where it all sort of came round. And then he, when he had Jasmine, he, I gave up music. Mm. When I was after Sydney and I am Joe's music, and, and I had four kids and I was like, fucking music's just you're never going to be able to feed your kids. Yeah. Just How are you going to do it? So I have to yeah. do something else. So I, I ended up, I'd been making film clips for our bands and then I ended up making film clips for other bands mm. and that became my living and that's how I ended up making ads because I had that filmmaking skills from making film clips. You make the, um, the opening show thing for Radio With Pictures? Yeah, yeah. when I came back I was in Ekarahuna in Hukanui mm. That's when Ron Kane visited yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was, I had no work. I couldn't get fucking work unless I went to either Wellington or Auckland. No one in Sydney was getting me to make videos. Um, and then I got a call from um, Brett. Who's this fucking guy? Brent Hanson. Mm-hmm. Who ended up going and doing MTV, you know. Um, oh, fame. We're thinking about. We like your film clips. Um, we're thinking about new titles for Radio Earth Pictures. And here's, this, here's our music theme. And he sent me this fucking awful music. It was it's a horrible piece of rock music. Mm, it was mm. old-fashioned. And, mm. and I went, fuck, mate. I'm not using that. And I said, I'm, I'm gonna, I, wanna, I always wanted to do animation. So I'm going to animate the titles. I'm going to figure out how to do animation. I'll go and find out from some animators what mm, you do. Mm. And Peter Dason's just written this. You know, I remember he was at the con. He did the jazz school mm. in America, in Australia. Yeah. And the first time he got onto a Fairlight, um, he wrote this piece of music, which was called the Calamity Music. And it's that thing with the coat of... Mm. Which became... And I said, we've got to use this. And I'll animate to it. And they went, oh, okay. All right. And I talked them into it. And that's what happened. And then I went to Wellington and... Fucking talk to you and Frizzell at bloody Gnome and said, okay, can you just give me a quick lesson and what am I supposed to do? And he gave me a pegboard and said, go away and I don't know, I can't remember what he told me. Anyway, yeah, it was as primitive as fuck <laughs> yeah. and I just made it up. Yeah. And and it turned out rough and primitive and weird, but it had some sort of vibe and people really liked it. Mm. I remember Dick Frizzell saying, Otis and I used to turn on Radio Earth Pictures every Sunday night and we'd sit there waiting for the title sequence because mm. we loved it so much. And um, that was my first bit of animation. It was Peter's music. Mm. So mm. once again, it's that tie-up, always with Peter. Yeah. In fact, pretty much everything I've ever done apart from this band in Hawke's Bay. And Peter plays when he comes over. He yeah, talks. yeah, yeah. And same with Tony when he was living here. He was in the band when he was here. Yeah, so you... I've always I worked with you, those guys. We you, still work together. You three have... It's a 40 years kind yeah, of thing. Of, yeah, it is, of, yeah. Of, of and we're together. strong as ever. Yeah. And we've got the Sam Hunt album. We're called The Bend. Um, and there's the Sam Hunt album. And then there's an album called Modernisation Means Trousers. And an album called Let's Talk About Art. Mm. And then an album called Can Life Really Be This Good? There's four of them. All, all the songs are recorded. They're just not quite finished or mm, mixed mm, or anything. Mm. And then there's 
the first Bend album was the Underwater Melon Man, the yeah, kids' yeah. album. Yeah. Which I'm all really proud of. I think it's a really good record. Yeah. Um, it never got out of this country, unfortunately. But I mean, it sold fucking eighteen thousand copies in this record in this country. And we've we've been writing, but I lost my house. That's a long, another long story, but don't worry about it. <laughs> I lost my house. I mean, I'm never doing this again. Self-published. Mm. Um, and but the thing is, you keep writing nonsense rhymes just because it's such good fun. And Peter and I always really enjoy when we get together to do music. And he was here two weeks ago. We always do a couple of nonsense rhymes. We just always do a few. Mm. He says, "What have you got?" And I go, "Oh, I've got a couple here." And we write these little tunes, and they they're so they fall out of the sky. That great Andy Partridge thing about songwriting. Andy Partridge is one of my heroes, probably mm. obviously. Mm. Um, and I've got a song which we play in No Engine. It's called A Song Fell Out. It's about songwriting. And I, I, I was reading this um, sleeve notes of Pisonic Pisunspot, mm. Dukes of the Stratosphere. Mm. And Andy Partridge talks about the band being down the pub or something and he's just waiting around. So he sits, he said, and I sat down at the piano and a song fell out. And I went, that is the most perfect description of what happens if you're in the right zone mm. with music as you pick up the guitar or whatever and a fucking song just falls straight through the roof and bang. And honestly, you don't even know what the fuck's going on. You just go, shit, that's good. What's that? And, and you turn the phone on, you sing it into the phone and fucking hundreds of them. Um, and, and so I wrote a song called A Song Fell Out, which is about songwriting. And it actually quotes that. You know, it starts off going, I was I was something through the sleeve notes of Pisonic Pisunspot and a song fell out. Mm, mm. Yeah, and, and it's the opening line in the song. Um, so that's what happens when Peter and I do these kids things, because I don't believe in children's music. It's bullshit. Mm, mm. Um, so I always say any song, a good, any, like Dr. Seuss says, a good children's book is a good adult's book. Well, I believe a good children's song should be a good adult song. So we write them like adult songs. Mm. They just happen to be nonsense, so they're good for kids. We don't compromise in the music yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah. You know, it's like, you, you know, you can give your kids the fucking wiggles uh, or you can give them Yellow Submarine. Mm. And if you give them Yellow Submarine, they'll go, wow. Yeah, yeah, Because totally. it's the Beatles writing songs. Yellow Submarine's a fucking great song. Yeah. The fact that it was for kids is the fact that said it's about a yellow submarine and whatever, but it's yeah. still a fucking really good piece of music. And I, I always believed in that. So that's what we've, we're still doing that. We're yeah. recording next month in Sydney. We've written 25, 30, 30 little new songs. So that's going to be another, another Under the Watermelon Man. Yeah, it's called The Boy with the Flaming Hair. It's, mm. it's part two. Yeah. And I've designed all the illustrations and I've written all the rhymes and Bye, we're about to... Hey, see you later, Spunky. See you in December. Okay, can to give me a kiss now? No, no. Oh, you bloody moi. Okay. Do I? I know I'm dirty and revolting. Look, look after my records. They're not your records, you gave them to Buster. I don't want them anyway. They're not crappy records. I kept the good ones. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he doesn't care. No, you're good. Nice okay. to meet you. See you, Susie. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Have Take good, it easy. Have a good interview. We yeah, are. We are. You're in it. Right. Yeah, you're in it now. Oh, okay. Hi, Sparkle. Sparkle's in it. <laughs> Your sparkle's in it. Yeah. Um, mm. So, 
where's your I mean through all of this stuff yeah. your your painting obviously mm. the your art comes into play and comes into pay yeah. in terms of making music videos yep. and and the the um, radio the pictures thing we talked about yep. you make some some good music videos for some pretty big acts in terms of like you know the mutton birds the heater yep, like yep. some big key singles by yeah, I did a lot for Dunn yeah yeah and yeah I was gonna say front lawn as well and and I started with the front lawn yeah with Don and then we did nature and giant yeah. friend and yeah yeah that first album and I read it yeah. read it Dominion Road using um Rion Marby like using the story out of his one and then mm. Don said oh, we, we we need the band to be in it so I shot the band in the studio on black and white and then mm. cut Leon's story into it. I uh, and yeah, the Anchor Me, mm. the heater is my favourite. Mm. Um so I'm sure we'll work again. I've actually recorded I've got a, a song, Dennis Glover's The Magpies. Yeah, yeah. I've turned that into a song and Don came one day and did all the vocals. Oh perfect. So yeah, that's yeah. in there, that's on one of those albums. Yeah, yeah. So I'm waiting, you know. And then I, and what my idea for that is I'm go I really like Dick Frizzell's book. Hey, sorry I'm running home. Oh, no, you're right. Sorry, can I just butter? Yeah, yeah. Because um, sure. Susan and Millie are going. Yeah. Susan's going tomorrow. Yeah. But Millie needs come come here, child. Millie needs to come and ha- and talk to you about book writing and drawing and stuff. Sure. So she can come after school because she's gonna go to school. Hmm? But you can come and talk to him. You don't need a bunch of old mothers. Yeah, come and talk to just me. Just cut out the middle mother and just come straight forward. And talk Lose to the him. boring old chicks and just come straight to the source. Okay, yeah. We'll talk to him to so look at me. You don't need to look at me, look at him. I can't see you, you're a silhouette. <laughs> yeah, because okay. she's got some drawings and stories. Cool, okay. I'd love and, to help and you. And he is too. And you can just talk I might about be able to help you. Alright? Okay. So come after school one day. If you yeah. get my phone number off Joe so you can text me and tell me, see if I'm here. She doesn't have a phone. Oh, okay, we'll just come then. Yeah, it's not really out All right. of the way, is it? Okay, nice you to see you, Millie. Bye. You walk home. Huh? I walk home. Um, and so, uh, but, well, uh, well, what's the, you know, process with, when do you come to mm. Hawke's Bay? Is that, when I, the, is that when the painting kind of really kicks in? Or yeah, well, like, and, and what, what's what the, happened is yeah. I was making TV commercials. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so that kind of becomes I built your a job. Big, big house with Ian Athfield. Yeah. And I'm making lots of money and and then the whole world of that fell to bits. Yeah. And suddenly there was no work and I owed the bank I needed ten grand a month, you know, to pay mm. my fucking eight hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Mm. Just ridiculous, you know. And I ended up, oh fuck this. So I lost my house and because I'd spent a year doing the underwater melon mountain mm, instead mm, of earning mm, money, you see. Mm. Lost my house, um, and my marriage was dissolving, and my father was dying, and I kept coming to Hawke's Bay to see him. Every time I come to Hawke's Bay, I'd get to a certain point in the road just after Norswood, where it turns into a big crescent of blue open sky, and I go, oh, I feel like the weight of the world fell off me. And I went... I kept coming up and I kept, I think I need to come and live here. And then Dad died and I went, well, who's going to keep an eye on my crazy mother? Someone needs to because she'll be up a fucking ladder trying to fix the roof at, you know, 87 or something and fall off and break her neck. So I thought, I'll come and live in Hawke's Bay and I'm going to be a full-time artist. And I went to, I went to see Peter McCleavy and took a whole lot of pictures of my work because I've been painting yeah, a lot. Right. All that was yeah, my, yeah. that was my, full-time hobby mm. apart from writing songs was 
to paint. Mm. It was how I stayed sane, making TV commercials. Um, you know, writing songs and painting. You know, really getting into my painting. And I'd done a lot, and I showed Peter McCleavy, and he basically said, bring me three paintings tomorrow at one o'clock. And bring in three paintings. And he put the three paintings against the wall, and he locked the door, and he sat and looked at them for about 20 minutes. And then he fucking gave me the bollocking of a lecture, telling me, you know that I was very talented or whatever, but mm, what mm. the fuck was I going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Mm. Anyway, I mean, okay, I get it, you're right, I need to do it. So and I'm, so I decided I'm going to move to Hawke's Bay. I sold my house, moved to Hawke's Bay, and I'm going to become a full-time artist, and that's what I'm going to do. I'll keep recording with Peter and Tony, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't played live music. I still haven't played live music, you know, at that point. So I came here and I bought a house up the road in Bayview with a pool and that was all very good but I couldn't afford to live there So because I was doing the Underwater Melon Man animation at the time mm. and I was doing the backgrounds for the animation and the budget was $4,000 mm. and there were 250 paintings to make which took me six months. So I earned, as usual, four grand in six months. Couldn't afford to live there, sold the house and I bought this house and I came here and on my own, living on my own, and I started painting, and I had my first show at Black Barn, and I just became a painter. But I was always writing songs. And then what happened was, my 60th birthday, everyone turned up here, and all of the fucking spats turned up. Not Bruno, he was dead, but all the rest of them. I said, shit, spats is here. You know, we'll have to play tonight. So we set up, and we had the drums and everything, so mm. we all set up here. And we had a rehearsal in the afternoon and, you know, tried, who can remember any of the songs we played? <laughs> we, you know, we dredged up some songs that we could play and we played that night and it was fucking great. You know, we had this really good time. Mm. Patrick and Tony and Peter and mm. had a local guide home drumming and, um, and I went, right, that's it. I've got all these fucking songs. I keep writing them every week. What's the point? No one's ever going to hear them. So that's when I went, right, I'm going to have to get a band together. And what the catalyst was, that was this spur, a little spark, and then Ian Morris died. And what happened is Tony and Peter and I had recorded an album in this house and Ian had engineered it. Mm. And he, he'd just moved to Hawke's Bay. And I asked him what did he want to get, it, get involved and engineer it and, and sort of produce the album, I suppose, you know, mm. whatever. At this stage, we're just recording. Mm. He said, oh, can any of you guys make a good cup of tea? That was his feet. <laughs> mm. He says, oh, I wouldn't mind my name on the album. And can you guys make a good cup of tea? Mm. So my son had just done a year at Maine's Buster and he came down and Paul Jeffrey sent down a Pro Tools system from fucking uh, Oceania. Yeah. Said, he said, oh, we've got a system all packed up here. It's just arrived back from King Kong. Should we send that down for you? And, ooh, what would you want for that? And he says, oh, credit on the album. So suddenly we had a bloody recording studio in my house. Mm. Once again, we recorded 17 songs that Tony, Peter and I had written together, one or, or the other, a couple of mine. And we got a local drummer, John Ray, and Tony, I said, we've got no bass player, Tony, you're going to have to play bass. So, so Tony played bass. And... That's one of the albums here, Modernisation Means Trousers. That's one of those albums. And so what happened, of course, is 
Um, Ian died, topped himself. Right, I, I'd rung him the week before and said, mate, I've got a track all ready to mix. I've finished one of the tracks. I've got all the vocals on and guitars and everything. Mm, mm. And fuck, I really want you to hear it. And he said, oh, because we often played golf on a Monday. Hadn't played for six months, but we used to. Him and Matt Baker and I used to do nine holes at Golflands on a Monday morning. Have a smoke on the seventh tee. <laughs> and um, it's fucking funny. So he says, oh, I'll come round on Monday and we'll listen to your stuff. I'm really looking forward to it. We'll have golf, we'll play golf in the morning and then we'll come back and listen to your tracks. Mm. And he fucking topped himself that weekend. And he already booked the hotel and cancelled the paper and yeah, you know, so it was always gonna happen. But he was presenting this facade of everything's fine to the world. He was very depressed. And what happened was I wrote this song for him when he died called Hey Dude. And um, and I played it to Ricky and Ricky said, oh, you've got to do that at um, his memorial concert. We're having a memorial concert. And I went, fuck, mate, I don't do live gigs. I, I don't perform live. I haven't done it for 30 years, man. I can, uh, and I've all, only ever done it with a fucking good band, you know. I'm, I'm shit on my own. This is, you know, and he went, well, it's up to you, but I'd really like you to do it. And I said, you know, and I said, well, he said, look, we'll, we'll, we'll work out some BVs and stuff and we'll, we'll get a band, we'll get McCartney mm. to play and fucking, there's heaps of music that's going to be there. So I go along thinking, oh, great, I'm going to have a band and it'll all be good. So it comes to my point. McCartney's played in Dobbin and they go, right, next Fane up, get up Fane. And I get up there with my semi-acoustic, plug it in, and I go, look around. And Annie Crummer said she'd get up and sing. And, and I look at them all, and they're all sitting in the front row looking at me going... <laughs> We've done it. And I'm like, yeah. you can't. I don't do this. You know, I'm on my own. What am I going to do? So I went, fuck, OK. I'm going to have to sing this song. I'm going to have to stop, get over myself. I'll sing this song for Ian. And however terrible it is, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's for him. Okay, this is for Ian. So, so I sang the song. And um, thanks to Ricky, Ricky's credit, at the end of the song, I started hearing these vocals. And Ricky and my mate Mark Luscombe were doing BVs, you know, mm. they're just making them up mm. at the end of the song, which was great. But I honestly left stage looking for the nearest rock to crawl under, thinking... That was the worst four minutes in the history of New Zealand music that I've just been involved in, <laughs> in front of all of my friends and heroes. Half the music uh, industry. And <laughs> half the music industry and half of fucking Napier. Mm. And I do not know how I'm going to even... I'm not going to leave my property for a fucking a year. <laughs> and then and I was really convinced that it was such a disaster. And then, then the next thing, you know, we're all leaving the theatre and Dobbin comes over and she says, oh, I really liked your song, mate. It was fucking really good. And then, you know, McCartney and about all the various people mm. gradually. And then and then during the week, and then we had a big jam down at the cabana and that was all good, but during the week, various people come up to me and say, hey, that was my favourite thing in the fucking Ian Morris thing was your song. And I went, really? You mean it was... Okay, and I sang a fucking song on my own, and it wasn't. And I went, fuck. after a while, I went, fuck, maybe I can actually sing my own songs. This never occurred to me. 
I mean, I'd sing a few, mm, but mm. it never occurred to me. I was in the band with a good singer. I always liked having Tony or Jenny Morris or whoever the fuck. Mm. I went, fuck, maybe I can have my own band and sing my songs. And so that became my mission, and then I gradually found the musicians that I wanted in Hawke's Bay, and we got the band together, and, you know, we play the songs. And I'm quite comfortable singing my songs. Now, I still don't think I've got a very nice voice, but... I mean, who has? Some people have, some people don't have great voices, but they're still fucking fabulous, you know? Mm-hmm. And and so many singers hate the sound of their voice, you know? And I just got over it now. I just go, well, it's what it is. So that Ian's concert, that got me back. Yeah. The 60th birthday party and then that. They lit the, and they lit it got, the fire, I went, yeah. I went, fuck, I've got all these songs. And then I got this band, I played the songs, and I go, Fuck, this is great. How could I have ever not done this for 30 years? Mm. And so now I do it again. So, so these songs, kind of wonderful. So these songs come from all kind of facets of your career. Yep. As they well, do. As well as, as, well as new as ones. Yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of new ones. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. More and more new ones. But, but we go, go back. back to, yeah, we still go back. We play one from Spats. Or, yeah. And when, what we did last, the two years, the Bend, we did a house concert tour, uh, North Island, one year and then South Island the next year. We didn't last year because I was mm. fucked. But and we did what we did. We do a song called "Undressing the Song," a show called "Undressing the Song," and we go right back to early spats. Mm. And we come through all the bands that we've been that we've played in and the songs that we've written over forty years right up to now. Mm. And you know we say, "Hey, this song was written in in the crocodiles," and we tell the story. Every song's got a story, you know. Mm, mm. And then now we're going to move to um, in between Spats and the Crocodile, in between the Crocodiles and I Am Joe's Music. Tony had a band called fucking The Blue Tongues. It was a soul band in Sydney. And this is when I first heard this song because mm. I used to do lights for them. And so mm. then we'd play one of Tony's from there. And then and Peter Dason had just been on the last waltz tour being Garth Hudson's stand-in. Mm. You know, mm. whenever Garth was too tired to play or... He only played when he felt like it. Yeah. Peter was the was Garth, and so we'd introduce Peter, and and he would start off just by fucking doing a huge improvisation, playing all different band songs and stuff, and we'd take it into the new song, and you know, we, we and we went right through our history, right up to the new songs, and even right up to a song fell out, you mm, know, because mm. it was about the whole show was about songwriting. Each song we'd tell a story, and we'd tell a story about the band we were in, mm. some appalling thing that happened between us, you know, on the road stories, yeah, yeah. or we'd play one for Bruno or whatever. And we'd have we had twenty songs on that show. We'd do two two out two hour and a half sets, and we do it in people's houses, and they fucking loved it. And there's even a live. I've got a film. Um, I'm waiting for Paul Jeffries to give me the mix because he came and recorded it. Mm. We did one in Simon Burt's house in the Wara Rapper, and Paul Jeffries recorded it, and Craig Howard filmed it. So I've got all the films of each song, the whole mm. concert. I'm just, the sound's not very good on the camera, but Paul's got the, the live sound recorded, multi-tracked. Mm. And I'm just waiting for him to mix that. So we've even got the band playing live in house concerts. Yeah, There's a yeah. whole lot of stuff yeah. that we've got. We've got a lot of material. Yeah, yeah. Um, from various things that is all sitting there waiting to kind of come, come out, out to the yeah, world. But yeah. it, it's going to. I'm really determined. So, you know? yeah, you were saying before we started talking on yeah. tape, you've got um, half a dozen albums, yeah, there's roughly. Yeah, half a dozen albums. And you're going to try and see them all come out over the next... What I want to happen, this is my theory, is that 
we start with the Sam Hunt album. Let's, yeah. let's see if many my my theory never fucking worked. Yeah. But I have I feel quite strongly about this. Yeah. We start with the Sam Hunt album, which is the oldest. Yeah. Which is nearly finished. Um, just needs a wee bit of couple of guitars and a couple mm. of vocals and then and then a mix. So hopefully that will come out this year. This is my that's that's the plan. Mm. Um, and we try and make a big fuss about that. We get Sam involved. We try and get some top quality filmmakers like Jane Campion has expressed interest in. Um, she hasn't said yes, but she's interested. She's mm. interested. Mm. You know, maybe Vincent Ward. Maybe if I can get Taika to make one, I'm, mm. I'll make one. So that we have, and Bruno's last recording. Jonathan on bass, who's won Australian Jazz Album of the Year twice, mm. so he's interesting. He's a Kiwi, but mm, mm. and um, and we try and make a bit of a fuss about this record and say yeah, yeah. this has been forty years in the making. For all for various reasons, it's been shelved for twenty years and, yeah, it's, yeah. and it's run out of money and it's. But we finally fucking finished it, you know. Yeah, Here yeah. it is, and see if we can make a bit of a you know. There's enough kind of. Bullshit attached to it that we can get on the radio and get on the TV mm. and go live on Jesse Mulligan and go on Kim Hill and all of that sort of stuff. Mm. And maybe we can get, maybe there's a demographic now in New Zealand that are old enough, you know, they're older people probably, you know, they've maybe 40s to 60s that go, shit, this is interesting music and we mm. want to hear this. And if we, and, but what I think would be really good if we can do it. It's just when the fucking brouhaha is dying down after that, you know, which is, say, maybe maybe it's got a life of six months of being interesting. The fucking next one comes out. <laughs> and it's completely different. Mm. It's bloody modernisation means trousers, the one we recorded here. And then just when that one's dying down six months later, fuck me dead. Um, you know, Let's Talk About Art comes out, which has got this... A guy that's dead now, Jackie Ozarski, amazing Hungarian mm. bass player from Sydney, playing bass on it, and um, it's got Don McGlashan singing the Magpies. It's got, mm. and it's it's another album, and it's really interesting, and it's really good. And then when that one's dying, just when that one's dying down, out comes bloody, you know, can you like really a, be this foot. You're, good. You're like and, an air traffic controller just lining them up. Yeah, and we've got them because we've been recording them for years. Normally it would take a couple of years mm. to make an album. Mm, mm. But if we can keep the momentum going, that it's like, and people will be going, what the fuck's going on? Who is this? The Bend, every fucking six months is a new album. <laughs> and, you know, then we released The Underwater Melon Man Part 2, The Boy With The Flaming Hair. Now our children's album's out. And we've just got enough songs to keep doing it yeah. if we can get rid of our debt and all that shit. So that, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. Free myself up so I can go, this is my mission now. And all the cover art will be interesting. The videos will all be interesting. Yeah. And maybe we can get some fans in the world, you know, that go, shit, the yeah. vendor are really interesting, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. You know, they've done nothing for 40 years and now they're doing... Something every six months, you know, mm. before we fucking die, because we're all so old. Not Tony seventy, <laughs> not that you'd know. You meet yeah, the yeah. guy and you see yeah. him on stage. Yeah, seventy years old. Like I, the idea of being a, a, a working musician at the age of seventy when I was sixteen is like absurd. Absurd. He should be dead by now, surely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I'm positive about it, and yeah. I think we're all playing better than we've ever played. Yeah. Perhaps not with the same fire, but with we're definitely, you know, I think we're actually better at it now than we ever were. Yeah, yeah. And to have Peter Dacent, who's 
you know, he's a monk aficionado. Yeah, he's writing yeah. a book about Nino Rota, so he yeah. knows Italian film music, and um, he can write for strings um, and play pretty much any style of keyboards that you know mm. and any pop song you've ever heard of, mm. you know, from fucking, you know, Green Onions to bloody I Am The Walrus. Um, and Tony, who has this whole gospel background, but what people don't know about Tony is he's making a fucking experimental album made from music made from rusty fucking gates swinging and taps, you mm, know. Mm. Uh, uh, he has got so much... He's written operatic music. Mm. Um, that is, he's like he's written a brilliant operatic piece called Where Is My Blue Snorkel, mm. which is in German. And it is highbrow art fucking opera. And it's so absurd. It's like Zappa, you know. It's like Zappa's opera. Mm. Um, as well as being a complete soul music and gospel music aficionado. But he also loves XTC and the Beatles. So we have this kind of interest in quite a wide-ranging demographic of, yeah, yeah. Of, of, of music, which comes out in all of our music something comes through from some one of those areas, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we like working together because we re- the one thing is we're really good mates. We have a really appallingly puerile time together <laughs> and, and, you know, have a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah. there's a good vibe about it, you know. Um, you know, we worked out, we've worked out how to relate to each other over 40 years so that we don't piss each other off and we can say anything to each other. So, I mean, if we can stay alive and get rid of our debts... And Peter, those guys are pretty well good. Yeah, yeah. It's only me. I'm the fuckwit that somehow, I don't know how it happened, but, you know, just I've been always been bad with money. So I had a lot of money and then I <laughs> fucked it all up and now I just owe the bank money. And yeah. So, yeah, I think there, I see a potential there to for us to just keep working and mm. really, really it become our... Our passion and our old age is to simply be able to do that. All we do is we go to the recording studio and we record new music and we fucking get it down and we put it out so that we just have this... Because we've got, honestly, Tony's probably got 200 songs no one's ever heard. Yeah, yeah. Peter's probably got... He's got shitloads of instrumental music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've I've got fucking hundreds of songs. Mm. Uh, So we actually can keep doing it as long as we're healthy and mentally still have our marbles, you know. (laughs) Which you know, it doesn't even necessarily. And matter. what about and what about um, the the artwork side of things? The, like outside of the music, the painting. Yeah. Um, what's your limitations on that? Like, how long do you want to keep doing that? And, well, the and thing about it is, I is that I, you know, I'm not. I'm an outsider. I've never been part of the art world because I started too late, and yet they don't. You don't become a painter when you're fifty, which is what really essentially. I started painting full time when I was fifty. Mm. And I'm, so, I, so I don't have a dealer, so I'm not in that world, which is, which means I can't sell my work for good money. Mm. I sell it. I can, I can survive if I do art all the time. Mm-hmm. And I've got some bread and butter work that I think, stuff that I do. Um, but if I'm making what really interesting, pushing the envelope artwork to me, mm. I can probably just survive, but I have to do it every day of my life, mm. and there's no time for music. Mm. And... Really, I think the thing I'm best at is music, and I will always want. I'll always paint, um, and I'll always. I want to do all the artwork for, for the bands, and for the album yeah, covers, yeah, yeah. and I want to. 
I want to direct interesting videos. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where my graphic, uh, my graphic, you know, sensibility will go to once I'm out of debt, mm. is to trying to make, and maybe if we're working live, you know, to try and create some really interesting visual things on stage because I would I would like us to work. You know, we will. I, what I really like is house concert tours. Fuck, they're good. Yeah, and yeah. you know, like this, the arts festival. I mean, we, you know, we could we could do the Sam Hunt album at the arts festival. We could mm. we could we once that album's available, we could take that on tour. We could play arts festivals, yeah, totally. house concerts, whatever, and we could do a whole show based on that album. Mm. You know, play and and you know, play a few extra songs as well, but. So I think I think the graphic thing is always going to be a part of my life because I like it, but um, I'm less interested in trying to make a living from it. Mm. I I I um basically what I need to do is not as well. What I'll tell you what I'm my plan is I'm working on. I believe the only I've had a look recently and go what have I got that I can make money out of? Not music. Um, not art. I can eke out a living on, on art. I can't make anything out of music. Live music, you don't make anything. Mm. Um, so, and to do really live music well, you need a machine. You know, you need your own mixer. You need a fucking good PA. You need lights. Mm. You need a bus. I mean, fuck, man. It's, it's too hard. So, what I've decided, what i found, I've got a whole lot of children's books that I've written over the years. And... I've had a look through them, and I think they're really good. And if I can crack the international children's book market, mm. I could make a lot of money. So I'm working every morning. I work for three hours out on my deck there in an armchair, and I'm working on, uh, first of all, I'm work well, we're doing the Underwater Melon Man too, but yeah. that won't be till next year because it's huge. Yeah. And it's got 24 songs involved, etc. I'm working on one which I want to get out for Christmas this year, and it's a Christmas book. It's called Monkey Puzzle Christmas, mm. and I'll show it to you if I can. Uh, I wonder if I can. Have you got time? Or is it, yeah, you yeah. Got, you ready no, to no, 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 okay. no. I've got time. Uh, all right. Because um, I think if I can become an internationally successful... So the Underwater Melon Man sold 18,000 copies in New Zealand. Mm. Now, that's a fucking quadruple bestseller. Even though I lost my house, we just need to just take that out of the equation... That was me, because it was an album, we mixed it in out in fucking London with Nigel, and, and then I spent 20 grand promoting the fucking whole thing, and I don't know, it wasn't very good, but I'm not doing, my, I'm not self-publishing anymore. You went back, I heard you were coming, but now you've arrived. Okay, where's kids' books? Here they are. Right, I'll show you Monkey Puzzle Christmas. Which I think is going to also be a, um, it's going to be a talking book. Yeah. I like the idea of, like, I'll get Sam Neill or one of my old fucking mates to, you know, read it and we'll do music for it. Yeah. And we're going to have a Christmas song in it. Yeah. I always wanted to write a good Christmas song. Yeah. Fucking hard thing to do. Yeah, it is. Um, but I reckon... You know, you never know. Mike. Even Paul McCartney couldn't do it. He had a couple yeah, of no, cracks at it and totally, and totally fucked that up. Yeah, it's a fucking. That's it. Okay, Oh shit! I hope this is. This doesn't look right, but anyway, whatever. Saturday night, I met you down from Ireland. Unpleasant surprise. It 
what have we missed? Well, exactly. Heaps. So we've, we've missed heaps. <laughs> no, I feel, that's all right. We've done a quite a we've, good process. We've done a really good, and, and I can always come and talk yeah, to you. Yeah, you know, I feel like there's easily a part two. But um, but I, I, it would be nice to get some thoughts around, or some story or thoughts around the recording of Tears. Oh, okay, yeah. Because, you know, we've only yeah. really mentioned that. And, well, we and did. We, we wrote, I wrote Tears for Jenny Morris because... You know, Tony and I, we, 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 were out, we saw the Wide Mouth Frogs play one night, and I said, I said, that girl's a fucking good singer, isn't it? And she did, she, they used to do um, a Supreme song, Can't Hurry Love. Mm-hmm. And she used to do it so brilliantly, and she was so spunky, and, you know, you went, I went, if, we have, if we're going to have a pop band, I said, why don't we try having a pop band, you know, we just... You know, just for a year or something. Let's let's write some pop songs, and we've got some that are good pop songs, and let's embrace this idea of having a pop band. And, and she could be like the lead singer; she'd be fucking fantastic. And uh, of course, so we and Tony went. I'd love to sing with her; she's great. So so I went and we talked to her. I talked to Jenny. She said, the first thing she says, "I'll never leave the frogs." <laughs> I know. Okay. I said to Tony, she's going to be a tough nut to crack. We just have to keep fucking, you know what it's like, Tony, just keep asking. And um, and then um, I said, get, um, why don't we try and get the bass player, Tina, as well? And then they'll be like, because they're best mates, you know. And Tina's great, you know. And uh, Peter Dyson was, oh, hadn't quite happened, but, uh, but Peter, Peter Dyson and her were, they were all mates, they are all... All those girls, it was a Wellington scene, so everyone knew everyone, and they, and, they, and Peter and Peter and Co had been involved in a um, a thing in Wellington, a spot, an artist sponsored thing where where you could get a job to be an artist and get and work on a project, and it was sponsored by the council. Mm. So all these mission, all these musicians, Peter got involved in a thing called Stiff Bicks Cabaret with Garth Frost and all these other Paul Gendon dancers and. And they put on a cabaret, and and Jenny and the Wide Mouth Frogs, they were involved in that. That's where it all, they all knew each other, and Peter knew Tina from years. She was a, she used to be Nick Bollinger's girlfriend, and so we knew it was a scene. So anyway, we eventually talked Jenny into joining and Tina, and they joined the Crocodiles. And so what happened is I, tears. I I thought I better write Jenny a song. Um. And I wrote Tears, and Arthur and I wrote it. And I went down to the west coast where Arthur was at Turamoana on the west coast. He, he had land down there. And I remember being stoned off my face in an outside bath with a fucking fire underneath it. And Arthur sitting there with his notepad. And I said, well, I've got the bloody, um, I've got the tune and the chorus, you know. It's just real simple. Tears, I feel them on my cheeks. Tears, I've been this way for It's kind of corny, but it, so it has to be about a chick who's pissed off with guys, mm. you know, because the girls will relate to it. A number of, a lot of, a lot of girls. Just, there's a line in Tears, which is, um, they're all around me trying to, uh, uh, you put me, pick me up so you can put me down. I guess it must be true, those things they say about men. They're all around me trying to tell me it's okay. The way I feel, I'd like to brush them all away. And a lot of women came up to me at various points and said, um, thanks for writing that. You know, like it was mm. somehow mm. relevant about, you know, as soon as you leave your boyfriend, a whole lot of other guys come and try and shag you, you know. <laughs> so I don't know what that was. But um, but anyway, Arthur and I, you know, we worked on I showed him that. 
we worked, I remember being in the outside bath, stoned and Arthur, <laughs> you know, writing the first verse or something. And um, and we did that down in Tiramoana and and went, oh, that's good. And I showed it to Tony. He worked out the bloody, he worked out the harmonies in like yeah. about two minutes. I went, shit, that's good. That's big and kind of nice. And then Peter, I showed it to Peter and he and he... He said, what do you want me to play on it? And I said, I don't know, I am the walrus. So he said, so he starts off going, doing that thing. And and he said, after all, he said, yeah, that, that's getting a bit boring. Um, I can't <laughs> play that through the whole song. And so then he went, well, and he worked out the space line. Which is a great fucking bass line, you know. That came from Peter. And... The interesting thing about tears is, um, I think what's interesting to me is that it's basically, it's a fucking three chords. So there are three chords, three intervals in that song, mm. and the verse is the same as the chorus. <laughs> There's the same chords in the verses in the chorus, three chords. What happens is it changes key every verse, and then when it gets to the bridge, it goes to E flat. But it's the same three intervals; they're just in a different order. But it's the same three intervals, mm, mm. and then when it goes to the, then it changes key into the third verse, and then when it goes to the very last chorus, where you think, I always find that there's a certain point where repetitive pop songs are in danger of getting boring, you know. Mm, mm, and mm. I find because I, I I don't like things to be the same all the time. So and I get to that, I think, I and I always think they need to kick. Off in a different direction at some just at that point where you're gonna where you go I don't really want to hear that one more fucking time na, 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 na. and right at the point I think in tears where that is about to happen <coughs> we change we go into the last chorus mm. and this weird thing happens where and I don't know how I what, how I came up with this but it what happens is. Jenny sings the tonic or the, the same note that she would sing normally by staying in the same key and the whole the band goes up a tone so her note becomes a seventh and it goes it's and what happens is it the whole thing goes going like that mm. and it goes off and it's just a fucking moment that one of the, where the most simple thing in the world happens that you expect that note and you get it except instead of the backing the backing goes into a different key and it just sends it off into this mm. and you know and I mean whatever it is the rest of it is just it's Bruno well, and it's Peter playing boogie woogie piano yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know it's but a, it's also got that it's got that kind of killer opening line too in the lyric that makes you go you know the chorus as you say yeah. is this simple kind of thing but the yeah. opening line makes you go Fuck, here's a story. You mm. know what I mean? Like, yeah, I want to yeah. hear what this, you know, you yeah, yeah. you actually get the tone of what you're talking about in yeah. terms of the... So somehow we cracked quite a good pop song, I think, mm. with Tears. That's, yeah. that's what it comes down to. And yeah. fuck knows how, you know, to be honest about songwriting, you know, how I say a song fell out, mainly when I get a song... I feel like I don't really have that much to do with it. It's mm, like it's mm, given. Mm. It already exists somewhere in another fucking plane. You and all I just it. happen to open up in a yep. certain way and it suddenly it comes and it's there for anyone to grab, but it Goes you know, you. comes falls past me. Sometimes I miss them. Mm. I used to miss them because I didn't realise what was happening. 
and I'd often dream them, and I wouldn't be too, I'd be too lazy to wake up and work them out. But um, yeah, and I've seen it happen. It used to happen with Peter Dason. He's a classic example. Every time he would sit down at the piano, he'd sit down at the piano, and the first thing he'd do go bum and he'd play something, and I'd go, that was fucking amazing. What was that? And he'd go, what? Yeah. Oh, oh, I don't know. I was just, just fucking out. around. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and i go, you just played the most incredible piece of music. What the fuck are you doing? And I started making him turn on his... Recorder. Once we got our phones... Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, phones changed everything. Yeah, yeah. Because now you get a tune in the middle of the night, you just reach over, pick up your phone, and you go... And you say, you know, you sing yeah. it, and then in the morning you wake up and go, "Oh fuck, that happened in the night. That's good." Um, but and I and he does it. He always turns his phone on when he sits at the piano, and the first thing that comes out is completely remarkable. And he wasn't even aware that it was happening. And he said, "I don't know. It just sort of flew in that tune. I've got no idea where mm. that came from. Mm. And it just comes. And if it's about being open to tune into something." Rather than intellectually trying to think, right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to write a song, mm. you know. I mean, if you start like that, I don't know, I don't know how you possibly do it. Happens mm. to me, I just pick up the guitar and I just, boom, and I play a riff. And it's like, and you go, oh, that's good. Then I'll do it again. I can't get to turn the phone on. That's a good one. And, it, you know, you have to do a bit of work mentally, mm. but really it's all there. Mm. And so you can't take too much credit, you know. Mm -mm. If you start thinking of yourself as some clever bastard that does everything, and I think it's the same with art, with painting, my best artworks that I make, I don't even know what's going on, mate. I mm. Honestly, I paint something, and then I stand back and have a look, and I go, fuck, look what's at that. this going to be? Yeah, what yeah, is this? <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. And I go, thank you. For, I always, and one of the lines in my song, the last line in the chorus of a song fell out, and I thank my lucky star, and I... And I see my lucky stars and silently whisper, thank you. I always say thank you because mm. I don't believe it comes from me. So I don't know where it comes from. I don't care. I don't want to get into that. It comes from somewhere special. Um, and, you know, I'm a great believer in the other worlds and other planes and all sorts of weird spiritual mystical shit. Mm -mm. Um, but my essence of it is that if you get your ego out of the way and make yourself open, all sorts of shit comes through. Mm. And anyone can do it. Some people are good at it. Some people are less good at it. And some people don't believe that they could do it, so they don't do it. But anyone can do it. It's nothing. Mm. It's not actually... I mean, sure, there are geniuses, you know, like Picasso and Stravinsky and people, and they like special. And, you know, because I hate the word genius. People talk about geniuses. I think, you know, geniuses should, is really special. Like, And you go, they were special, but everyone has the ability to tune into the creative thing well of where shit comes from. And most people think they don't. Mm. That's all it is. Because people say to me, oh, you do um, filmmaking and you do painting and you do music, you know, like, how the hell do you do all that? And I go, well, for a start, they're all really similar. Yeah, it's all... All, you do, all you're doing is dealing with either an image or a sound or a fucking... and arranging them mm. and... To me, they don't. Those three disciplines are not that different. It's well, just it's a slightly different shift of perspective. Yeah, and it's all about giving shape to an organising expression, right? Yeah, it it's is. It's a different totally. medium, different medium, different presentation, yeah. but in a way, the same, the same idea or the same concept drives it. Absolutely. And like you look at 
I mean, I, when I teach, if I teach, occasionally I teach, like, design, and I go, well, design is simply, it's, you know, within a defined shape or space, mm. arranging shapes, like layers. If you think of it as layers, could be typography, a photograph, or it could be graphics, painting, illustration, shapes. But basically, it's a bunch of shapes. If you, you can look at any graphic... Posts or it's a bunch of shapes on top of each other or in behind each other, mm. and it's about composition. How big's that one? How small's that one? What colours that one? What goes behind that one? What goes in front of that one? So all you're doing is you you've got a bunch of elements, and you're arranging them into a a pleasing composition that somehow communicates something. And music's really similar, mm. you know, like a drum track, a bass track. You know yeah. what happens here, what the how the vocals go, what they overlap with, mm. all mm. of those, and it, and it's very very similar in doing a painting. Um, I just think you're working with colours and shapes, and music. You're working with sounds, which are like colours. You know, like I I believe that Hendrix basically painted pictures with his guitar. That's what I love about Hendrix. He created. I think his music's really mm. visual. You know, mm, mm, mm. and when I I mean obviously if you get stoned and put a pair of headphones on and listen to Hendrix, for example. It's You do see pictures, I see a... It's like he's painting. Mm. And, I, and that always made me think, oh, art and music are very similar. I see um, the same thing in when Neil Young's on electric guitar with his solos, yeah, which yeah, I think, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and there's definitely there's some evocation of Hendrix through what yeah, he's yeah. doing as yeah. well. But yeah. I was listening to, you know, like the... What is it? Is it down by the river? The classic yeah, yeah, one, yeah, yeah. one note Crazy guitar horse. solo. Yeah, and I play that yeah, when yeah. live. Yeah. If I'm in the mood, yeah. we've got a song that has that feel. Yeah. And I just sometimes go, right, it. I'm going to fucking start with Neil's fucking one note yeah. thing and see what happens and yeah. go from there. But, but even, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And even like Cinnamon Girl, the solo, and that as well. You know, I was listening to those the other day thinking how. I could actually imagine someone um, st- stabbing at a canvas yeah. with a paintbrush yeah. or, or you know a palette knife or something, yeah. and actually stabbing at it yeah. to you know in a painterly technique. And then when he moves off and you know when he finally moves mm. away from the one note yeah. thing, you can imagine them doing the big broader yeah. stroke and stuff. Yeah. And I could actually totally. see this all happening as yeah. I was listening to it. That's lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that crazy horse. It's, it's a fucking great band. Mm. And um. You know, I often paint, when I do paint, I often paint to music. And I find one, one thing I liked, always liked, was vinyl because you have to change the, yeah, turn yeah, the gives, record gives over. You so it break. gives you a break. Yeah. And, and you, you have a break, you turn the record over and you sit and you go, otherwise you might go for four hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But when you stop playlist, every 20 yeah, minutes, yeah, yeah. Lock, you go, ah, I know what to do next. Yeah, you move around. Yeah, and you see, you go, that, that area there's got a problem. Yeah, I'm going yeah. in, you know. And, um, and would you do the thing maybe too of like sometimes because I find this with, with activities mm. listening to records sometimes one side is the perfect amount and I'll actually switch to another record yeah yeah you know yeah, when you yeah. do have that yeah. break I actually often 20... play Jed Towns album right yeah um, yeah you know Fetal Mania yeah 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 and yeah, I often play it at the wrong speed because it's a 45 yeah yeah and I like it at both speeds mm. it's an mm. album that I like at both speeds and I play it at the wrong speed and then I play it at the right speed and I do that quite often. I fucking love that record. Mm, mm. And, and and you know, I, I I used to know Phil Claremont, and I used to get visit him a lot. 
and because I met him in Blurter, we stayed at his house. Mm. First Blurter trip I went on, we parked a bus on the lawn at his house at 300 Hereford Street. So he and Bruno were mates. And um, they used to get up to all sorts of dodgy shit up in, up in his room. Mm. Um, and I remember sleeping on the couch there. But when I used to visit him in Auckland, he, uh, I went to visit him one day and he said, oh, fuck, Fane, I've really got this great record I want to play you. I'm loving it. I'm painting to it. And it was Pierre Ubu, um, 45 seconds over Tokyo. And he put it on and fucking, and, and I went, something's not right. I went over and had a look and I said, mate, it's, uh, uh, you're playing it at 33, it's a 45. <laughs> he went, what, really? <laughs> and I said, this is what it's supposed to sound like. And I played it at the right speed. And he went, I fucking hate that. Because <laughs> he's so used to hearing yeah, it at yeah, 45 yeah, yeah, yeah. that it was this piece of music in his yeah. mind now. He said, I fucking hate that. Just put it back on the other speed, will yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, <laughs> I can dig it. Yeah, know? a lot of that stuff, I mean, when the vocal comes in, sometimes that's the dead giveaway and yeah, all of that. But yeah. I, on purpose, played um, Bowie's Ashes to Ashes at the wrong yeah, speed the yeah. other day. And I was like, man, the intro at that wrong oh, speed is I fucking killer. Fucking love Bowie. Oh, uh, yeah. I've got a song called um, Something's Gonna Happen. And it's about... And it being an old curmudgeon about music, about about music, and it's about the first verse is about how you know how once the Beatles, McCartney and Lennon stopped working together, how mm. it fucking you know I really missed it, and I don't I've never really liked McCartney's music since the Beatles. Wings okay, but it's not it's not something that I I, I was mm. always disappointed with Paul's music. Um, without John, I think he needed John to make him to kick his ass, you know. And then the second verse is about how I miss Beefheart and Zappa, and they're mm. both gone. Mm-hmm. And then, but it's also about how something new is going to happen that's going to blow my mind. And then the last verse is about Bowie dying, and it and it has the line now because now I'm he says now on my mind is immaculate timing. The white jukes departed. The black star is shining. That's the that's the mm. last verse in that song. Mm. Something is happening, and and the song and the end. Of, you know, the song is something's going to happen. Something's going. It's about. It's about wh- who's going to be the next magic. You know, that makes the mm. whole world go fuck. And I and I go, you know, and I look at well, Ed Sheeran. I was just going to say it's go, Ed Sheeran, hey, isn't it? It's Ed yeah. Sheeran. If you listen to half of New Zealand at the moment, <laughs> yeah. And I look at Ed Sheeran and go. <laughs> How does one yeah. fucking ginger get fucking three concerts in Dunedin for with four houses? What has he got going on? Because yeah. I, I mean, I think he's a, he's okay. Yeah, he's not terrible. He's not terrible. I don't us. hear magic. No, and I see. I hear you know. He's got a nice voice, and obviously his songs relate. But the, the demographic that he's getting, you know, is all sorts of ages. It's quite remarkable. Well, it's kind of like... I don't po- quite understand it, but, you know, but what, what, it is. What I've <laughs> been thinking about lately with that stuff is how, you know, pop music and, and rock music... Yeah. Uh, you know, when did it have a vasectomy? You know, and that's that. That's my problem with that. Yeah. There's no, there's no venom. You know, there's no yeah. spunk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, however you want to spell it out. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. sackless. You know, and and and. I, you know, there's a lot of things. Well, you know, music has become factory. I mean, yeah, it really, yeah, yeah. really has. Yeah. I've got a song about, I've got another song about that, which is, it's a, I've got a song which is called um, Over and Over, which is a, an old man's 
like bitch about the state of the world mm. and and it I'm just trying to think what the lyric is but it's um it goes oh first of all it's here the death of kerning which is about typography because mm. kerning you understand yeah. what kerning yeah. is yeah, yeah. so uh, it's here the death of kerning Gill the pervert turning in his grave which is about Eric Gill who was a great typographer who's also apparently used to root his dog and his kids which wasn't so good but um uh and then uh, the second verse is, um, and, and, oh, how's it going? Fat girl, pervert, turning his grave. I was a plastic junk from China. Every fuckwit's a designer. That's <laughs> the next slide. <laughs> and then um, Walter Elias squirming, um, which is about Disney. How could mm. they put that shit out in his name? Mm. But the next verse goes, um, which is what I'm talking about, goes, um, video nasty sliming, factory music grinding, um, you know, because I, I get so sick of those formulaic videos mm, with the, mm. where the girls have to grind up and down the fucking pole and the guys sit around the pool with their gold chains smoking crack, yeah. you know, which was just like... I mean, the fact that everything... You, music videos used to be creative mm. and everyone was trying to do something interesting. Yeah, and yeah. Then, and same with music, like I was talking about 67. Yeah. And now it's like something comes out that's a hit Everything that Nick, the Nicks that comes out, you can hear it with the stupid auto tune yeah. on it and the fucking, you know, the kind of lame rap in the middle of it. And it's like a bunch of, it's like there's a whole music industry uh, that sits there churning out what what now becomes mm. uh, pop music. And if everything's and it's a, not really interesting. And if everything's a copy of, I mean, you, mm. we know this from from multiple angles. If everything's yeah. a copy of a copy of a copy, yeah. copy it gets weaker. It oh, looks it weaker. Totally it sounds weaker. weaker yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. You know, it can't yeah. stand up. No. Yeah. No. I think that's a bit of a sad thing that's happened, and it's you know I I blame radio because. You know what happens? Um, which what I've liked about my teenage youth was that the top 20 you would hear fucking Frank Sinatra next mm. to Aretha Franklin mm. next to the Beatles you know one was number one one was number two and one was number three and they were, like you'd never hear them on the same station today mm. because mm. they're not the same genre mm. you know black music's on this station fucking pop music's on this station R&B's on this station whatever that fucking means anymore you know country music's there easy listening's here it's a really strange thing that I just think it's not a good thing. I really don't like genres. I mean, mm. it's just a thing. And I, I try to, I mean, we, the thing is when we make our music, we are influenced by all sorts of things which you can say is a genre, but it's like ignoring the fact that should we, like we've got a fucking great country song. Mm. Um, Tony and I, wrote this country song called Two House Painters in Houston, which is one of my favourite fucking songs. We've got, we've now got Lucky Oceans playing pedal steel wow. on it, and it's fucking amazing. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> um, we haven't finished, wow. the, haven't finished the vocals and guitars yet, but we've got Lucky. Lucky loved it, man. I've got a video of him playing on it, uh, laughing his head off, because the changes are so weird, they're so uncountry. But yeah. Tony sent me this lyric, you know, he always sends me fucking lyrics. He writes these impossible words, and he goes, oh, fuck, I don't know how to write that into song. I'll send it to floors. Mm. I, get these, I used, to, used to be faxes in those days, you know. They would come <laughs> off the fax all smelling hot, you know. What's this? Another one from back outside. He's in a, on a roll. Two house painters in, in, in Austin. 
up the ladder to the roof. I mean, stay up to the stage. I mean, roof. Hey, man, hand me those cans. Not the paint, asshole, the beer. Got to decorate my interior before I start this wall here. And I'm going, what the fuck is this song about? <laughs> um, turns out, and then it's We Got Brown, We Got Black, and a trunkload of deleted albums around the back is the chorus. Turns out, he read this article. It's Jimmy Carl Black from The Mothers, right? He's got no gig. Frank fired him, the fucking Geronimo Black's... Fuck, I love that album. Um, uh, Geronimo Black has been fucked over by the record company. He's got all these kids. He needs money. He can't get a gig, so he starts a house painting business. So what he does, he puts an ad in the paper, you know, for someone to paint houses with him. Who answers the ad? He gets one answer to the ad. It's fucking Arthur Brown of the crazy, crazy world, world of Arthur yeah. Brown, right? Yeah. So you've got brown and black. Yeah. Two ex-rock stars painting your fucking house, right? <laughs> and I'm going, this is, you know, and the back house is going, this is, you know, obviously. And so our scenario, you hear the beginnings of the song there. And the scenario for the song is two stoned ex-rock stars painting your house. Okay, what's going to happen? And we came up with this idea that they rename all the pack, all the the colours of the paint tins in the can after Frank Zappa songs. <laughs> There's Orange County Lumber Truck Orange and the Don't Eat the Yellow Snow Yellow and Dysentery Green and fucking, you know, Duke of Prunes Purple. And so um, we wrote this song about about that. And it's got all these quotes from Zappa songs in it. And, it's, and because we said, well, who, you know, if Jimmy, if this was in Zappa as band... Jimmy sang the country songs. So it's got, our mission was to get Jimmy to sing it. Mm. But he died. Mm. We were too mm. slow. Mm. Always too slow. Um, but we were going to go to fucking America, find him and get him to sing it. <laughs> Up the ladder to the roof. <laughs> I mean roof. <laughs> and, then, um, and then the bridges. Remember it must be a camel. Shittiest shave beige you've ever seen. I'm the god of enamel, and I bring you dysentery green. So it's, it's and it's, it's fucking funny, eh? yeah, I, yeah. you know. And it, it um, like it's even got. You can sit on my. Oh, where's my? It's even got. Where's my waitress? That line out of fucking a lonesome cowboy boot mm. in it. You say, uh, um, we can we can still paint the town later on. Um, find a titty bar. Somewhere tasteless. Now tell me, where's my waitress? It's in the second verse. Um, but we've got this fucking great country song about this absurd scenario. No, it's great in the house concert because you explain, you tell the story, mm, and mm. they go, oh, and then you play the song. Mm. And they go, so that's what that's about. Fucking great. <laughs> and, the, and the chorus is, we got brown, we got black. And a trunk load of deleted albums round the back. And so... Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we're not really big country music guys, but fuck that, that it's the only way to play that. Yeah, yeah, the that's that, that's that the song treatment. has to be a fucking good yeah, country yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. We're playing this kick ass rock and roll country song. Yeah. And Tony and I said, it needs pedal steel, mate. And uh, he said, oh, I'm going to Perth next month to a workshop. Oh, you know, my. I'm, I always catch up with my mate Lucky Ocean. Shall I get him to play some fucking pedals? Uh, yes, went, please. <laughs> yes, please. And the guy just fucking whips it out. It's got 13 chords in it. Mm. It's so uncountry, you know, like it mm. goes all over the show melodically. 
mm. with a country feel. And Lucky Ocean's just laughs his head off the whole time he's playing because mm. he can't believe he's playing on this ridiculous song. <laughs> so, you know, that's the sort of shit that's interesting. But, yeah, I don't know about, you know, genres are weird things. Mm. And, you know, the fact that you only hear one thing on the... If you tune onto the radio, it, it plays this kind of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like we got both kinds, country and western. Yeah. I don't know. That's That seems sad to me. And the... And the f- because really, if you're into heavy metal, you only listen to a heavy metal station, don't you? So that's all you ever hear. Hmm. Hmm. And they've done that thing on those commercial stations where they pitch everything up, speed everything up a tiny bit. Oh, do they? Yeah, so they can fit more ads in. So they oh, play, they play everything about 7% faster. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I fucking yeah, didn't yeah, know yeah. that. Because they worked out, some, yeah. some genius yeah, yeah. encounter worked out that... That's you know more revenue they can fit in. They oh can sell yeah, more, yeah, however, yeah. Whatever it is, but yeah. it's probably three. It's mo- like when you it's buy a bunch of fucking you know, headache pills, yeah. and and you know the pills are in this thing, but there's two missing in the middle, mm. but it's still in the same size pack. Yeah, yeah. And in yeah. everything there's two missing. Yeah. So you go well. By the time you add up, that's that's some genius has gone. Just take take two pills out, mm, mm. and then every ten packs we get in it, we get a free one. It's outrageous, eh? It's, <laughs> think the thinking is just the thinking's just fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, the world is pretty strange. We've had a um, a pretty good old chat, and yes, we were, and we yeah. were going to do this a while ago, and we've had a couple of goes at it that we've um, delayed. So well, I've enjoyed it. Me too, and it was great to 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 meet you because we've corresponded a little bit, yeah. And and obviously around the idea of uh, of meeting up, but. Um, yeah, I've loved it, and I'd like to come back sometime. Oh, look, any time. Come chat. back. Come back, have another rave. I'll play some more songs. And, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, the Crochet Club might be going. You never know. You might yeah, get a good yeah. lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> amazing. Should we knock this on the head and have another yeah. shandy? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Let's <laughs> okay, do that. Okay, good one. <laughs>